Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Anne Friedman. And hey. Hey, lady, how's it going? I'm fine. I had like an old lady neck pull situation that I'm recovering from with muscle relaxers. So if I sound semi lethargic, that's what it is. Oh my God. I'm doing the prayer hands emoji motion for you right now. Neck muscles are for real. Don't mess with them. <laughs> I don't do well when like really crucial parts of my body are not together. Nothing stresses me out more. I mean, it's felt for a few days like it's going to roll off my head in a Death Becomes Her style like <laughs> twist, which I admit I'm sort of attracted to, but also repulsed by. <laughs> oh my God, boo-boo, take care of your body. Anyway, that's it. That's that's a highlight slash low light with me. Okay, well, so here's the deal. This week on the agenda, we have a really cool conversation with the, I can't believe I just said cool. No, <laughs> nobody says the word cool. I take it back. <laughs> Scintillating conversation. Conversation. <laughs> yes. This week on the agenda, we have a scintillating conversation with the ladies of, of a kind, Claire and Erica, who are really good models for ladies who want to get out there and work with their besties, but also just like kill it at the game every day. Yeah, it's a deep dive into besteepreneurship. <laughs> yeah, so we talked to them a couple of weeks ago. They like dropped some knowledge on us, including that they were opening a new shop on Of A Kind. And so you get to hear about it and now you can even shop it. We also have a couple of listener questions. Um, it's been a while since we've done those. So we're going to tackle a few of those in this episode too you know and to just be real with you we're obviously like cheating a little because like this week is very very crazy for us by the time you listen to this we would fully be into doing our first live show in san francisco which we're like nervous and excited about oh my god it's our live show maiden voyage <laughs> i know i'm so nervous you know like i'm not nervous about the crowds like crowds don't scare me i'm just like ugh. like i just don't want people to be bored I mean, that's what's scary about it, right? Because I think if I bore people on this podcast, they can fast forward or they can stop listening and like, I don't have to know about it. If they're going to walk out. They're exactly. Gonna walk out. <laughs> or start snoring in the middle of our live event. <laughs> devastating. Absolutely I know, devastating. I'm going to be devastated. But you know, also I'm like nervous because whenever we do this, like we're each in the comforts of our own individual closets. So on stage, it's just, you know, it's just like a lot to take in. Um, we haven't even coordinated our outfits yet. That's how I know. <laughs> I, to be perfectly honest, that's the most stressful part of the whole thing. <laughs> so listen to this great interview and these listener questions, and we will be back with a meteor episode soon. Sitting in separate rooms because you you made us, you like exiled us from our couple's desk by telling us we needed to be at separate computers. Oh my God. Wait, so you guys really work at the same desk? For real. real. So this is your version of long distance besties, like two exactly. different rooms. I was literally yeah. thinking that. I was like, this actually is call your girlfriend because Eric and I are talking to each other on the phone basically right now. Right. How does it feel? Like, you know, you guys are the, you are like kind of our generation's premier, like Anne coined it, bestie preneurs. Like, how does that feel? 
not true at all, but thank you. It's really nice. Well, we just aspire to be like the Kathy Lee and Hoda of our generation. I mean, (laughs) no, but I mean, like, who else? Like, you know, name two other ladies who, like, have a business who are, like, making money, are funny and killing it. I don't know. Well, thank you. I don't know. It, It does feel really good, and it's really nice, and it's nice to also just have gotten to a point in the business where it's obvious to everybody that our relationship is so central to what we do that nobody questions it. And, you know, when you first start out and when we first started, there were so many people being like, but who's really in charge? And like, what's the divide? And like, people really needed to break there it down. So it there yeah. was so much of that. There was so much of that. You're the which one and you're the which other one. Right. Like, oh God. And really, in really offensive ways too. <laughs> someone was like, so you're the smart one and you're the pretty one. Oh like, my God. Oh, oh God. It was so fucked. Like neither of us knew which, which one of us should be more offended in that scenario. <laughs> <laughs> It's okay. When you kill that person, there's two of you to get rid of the body. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. But I feel like five years in and like with, you know, a bunch of milestones behind us, now people sort of like get it and we don't need to explain it that much. And people are like, I get it. You guys work together. You're creative partners. And your friendship. Which doesn't really exist in that many worlds. I feel like in the advertising world, there's kind of that, you know, like the, the copy person and the art director and those people can be a team or photographer duos or something. But in general, that idea that, you know, of being a duo doesn't exist in a work environment. And we're trying to, we're trying to change it. It's so much so that the the advertising thing was the only analogy that we could find. And so at various points throughout the business where we were terrified that everything was about to fall out from under us and we'd have to find real jobs, I asked my husband who works in advertising, I was like, do you think that Eric and I could just get a job as a creative duo at your agency? He's like, like, absolutely, you're not working with me. He's like, you don't don't do advertising. I was like, I know, but we just want to continue to work together. And how can we do that? It's so crazy to me to hear you say, that there are times that you thought that the business was going to fall under because as somebody who's just like watch it from the outside I'm just like oh this is great all of the time oh my god ah. <laughs> I find it's like really important to talk about it too because I think that we feel the same way about everybody else's business and I'm sure you know it's that's like what makes you feel insecure is you think everybody else is killing it but no you everybody Nobody's has that. killing it all the time and I think there's this self-perception that it or this perception from the outside that if you're getting good press or that if your face is on Facebook where people are following you, then, you know, everything's going, everything's always on an upward trajectory, which is not true for anyone. And there's so much pressure too, as, as like founders or entrepreneurs to just always say you're killing it and you're crushing it. And like, can never <laughs> to not show weakness for some reason, which is so it's, odd. It's so weird. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I get it. You have to put your game face on for potential investors or who, you know, customers or whoever, no one wants to hear you're having a bad, a bad quarter or whatever. But I, at the same time, I, there's, there's value in honesty. I was just about to ask if you guys had ever thought about trying to be a little bit more transparent about the tough times. I mean, it's funny. I think now that we are in a somewhat more comfortable position because we have a parent company, I think it's certainly something that's easier for us to talk about um, or to like reference in an oblique way. And it feels all the more important to do that. But yeah, I think it's a good question. We I talk think there's... about it, I think, on the personal level a lot. Um, mm-hmm. And we talk about it some on our podcast where we'll get into the sort of emotional highs and lows of having a business and the things that we've coped with and the toils of having a you know business relationship and being business partners and what that looks like over time when there is so much uncertainty um, and the shittiness of trying to unsuccessfully raise investment 
which we suck at. There's nothing that we're worse at in the world than fundraising. God, Um, it's crazy. And yeah, that stuff is also easier to talk about in hindsight too. You know, we tried to fundraise. We sucked at it. It turned out when we sold our business that that was kind of a good thing because there were fewer investors to pay back. (laughs) So yeah, stuff like that is, is now easier to be honest about. What has been the hardest thing about being a true, like, equal partnership and and dividing responsibilities or working together? I think we all, we both will sometimes experience these moments, especially when the business is changing or growing or we hire new people where we'll feel like, but what is my role here? Or am I still needed? Or am I important? And do these new people think that I'm important or have value? And at that point, I think we both sort of like struggle to find ownership over certain projects or and get really touchy or or sensitive or more so than we ever do normally and so then we have to have talk outs and um just sort of reassure each other that we're loved and important and really valued and that this business wouldn't be the same without the other one and all of that the talk out (laughs) lots of like walking talk outs of being like i just sometimes feel like if I didn't do this, nobody would care. And then the other one being like, that is not true. Everybody <laughs> understands that you do that. And I sometimes feel like they don't care what I do. So <laughs> I was listening to Lena Dunham and Jenny Connor on, on Lena's podcast. And they were like talking about when they have those moments. And they're like, and then, you know, we just go in your office and, and cry with each other. And I was like, maybe we're not doing that enough. Should we be crying we don't cry with each other much. more? Yeah, we really don't cry very much. Yeah. No, we're just, but it changes hard. I mean, we started this thing in our apartments and it was just the two of us for so long that when these new elements are introduced to the equation, because we are such good friends and have known each other for so long, it can like initially feel like it throws off the balance at first. Yeah. How many employees do you have now? We have four employees, um, which is still super, super small. I know, but it's still like a lot in terms of like the thing that has been that I'm realizing more and more about myself is that it's really hard to let go for, a, you know, like of certain things. Oh my God. And so I'm just like, Sorry. how do you delegate to like four whole humans? something that you used to do by yourself. And how do you not look at every tweet? Yes. And just like micromanage exactly. everything yeah. and just totally. be so that's on top of it. Huge. That's like, that's our, that's our weakness as, as like business owners and managers, because we did it ourselves for so long because we have so convinced ourselves that our insane attention to detail is what makes the business what it is. And then you, and then when you're in a position where you have to let that go, you're just like, I have no idea how to, and you drive yourself crazy. But I will say, um, and not just because they're sitting in the room, that the team we have in place right now is really <laughs> strong and really awesome. And it, it feels good to be able to put things in their hands and know you can trust them. Whoever writes the super cute note when you buy stuff, like, tell that person I love her. We'll pass it on. the greatest warehouse in the world. They're this little family-owned fulfillment company, and we interact with a single person there, and they, you know, we're back and forth with them all day long, and when we get shipments of product in, she'll email, (laughs) she'll email and be like, I love today's bowls, or I don't like these earrings as much as the last ones. (laughs) (laughs) Um, shout out to Lori Industries that they've been like they were they're a game changer for our business because when you are a retail business unless you are venture back from the get-go or just like have a lot of investment money otherwise you are fulfilling every package from your apartment or your office as we were and I would be I would lose a piece of inventory and go rooting through my underwear drawer for it because I'm like it's got to be in here somewhere and it was totally in there, <laughs> it was <somewhere>. totally <laughs> in there. 
and they there aren't that many small warehouses that will like that make sense for small businesses and and we were so lucky to find these guys who who handle us and Best Made Co and Ace and Jig and all of these other small companies and it's such a game changer to be able to not have to stare at your inventory while you eat dinner or pay New York rent for it which was also. another crazy thing yeah yeah, I'm not going to lie. Whenever we talk about, like, even remotely doing merch, the minute we get to, like, the fulfillment question, like, that's the part where, like, my my body just wants to shut down. Right. Oh. I'm like, this seems like a great idea, but no. I'm like, all of my ideas are like, what can I do with my life that is not retail? <laughs> you know what I saw somebody try recently for fulfillment, which I thought was interesting, was using SHIP, um, S-H-Y-P. Oh, oh I, lo- I love that company. But still, it, but you oh, still yeah. have to, like, get the stuff somewhere. Yeah. You and you still around. have yeah, to yeah. send it out. And you're, yeah. I'm like, why can't it live in the cloud? I never want to see it. <laughs> that's true. Why can't it live in the cloud? Let's all just sell digital products. Yeah, now. that's like, that's my, like, awful tech person brain. I'm just like, <laughs> uh, I don't have the emotional capacity for dealing with things. Store it somewhere where I can't see it. That's the right idea, though, at the end of the day. That's who's going to get rich. 3D printed merch totes or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody steal this idea. We're still thinking about it. 3D printed by your regular Hewlett Packard printer that's in your office already. Oh, I can't wait for the future. I can't wait for the future. Use the paper to make a pulp and then construct it yourself. It's really really simple. (laughs) Appeals to DIY audience. Yeah. I have kind of a baseline question about how you guys knew you were ready for each of the next levels you've sort of embarked oh, on in this question. business, wh- whether it was like formalizing a- it as a business, deciding to sell, or like, I'm, I'm curious about those decision points. In terms I- of formalizing it as a business, we didn't know until we sort of started going down the road and it got to a certain point where we were basically already there and had sort of played it out. So we came up with the idea for Of A Kind in January of 2010, and it looks remarkably similar to what the site is now. We basically... Claire had emailed me. She wanted to apply for a job at 20 by 200, which is an amazing site that sells limited edition art prints. And she emailed me her cover letter to look over. And during that process, we were just going back and forth about what was interesting about 20 by 200. And when I got home from work that day, I had an email in my inbox from her that was read this instead of my cover letter. And she basically outlined why doesn't this kind of thing exist for fashion? People who love caring about what they wear and owning really beautiful, special things. Also want to know um, the coolest new designers around and don't have a way of accessing this at a not crazy price point. And so she and I went back and forth over email that night. And I sort of spoke to the idea that editorial is what would make that really interesting to me because the, the artists that are on 20 by 200 are amazing, but I don't know anything about art. So their names don't really mean that much to me in the way that they do to her. And so I think that storytelling was really key. And so we basically approached it like an extracurricular, like an after-school project, basically. Um, well, the most, like, so that email chain obviously now has, like, gone down in the history of, of a kind as this, you know, in the archive. And for the holidays this year, my husband had one of the emails from that chain stitched in needlepoint, like, memorialize it. And the best part of it is that in this one of those emails, it says, so can we just like maybe meet for coffee after work tomorrow, maybe just to talk about, to like fantasize what this could be if it were just a small side project? Because I was clearly so scared to commit or like or to ask Erica to, Erica to commit at that point. It was like just a fantasy side project that we could maybe do, you know, in our spare time. And then obviously now, you know, six years later, you're like, oh, hilarious side project. 
so then we met and we started working on it and we started reaching out to designers more because we had no idea how this whole world worked because none of us had worked in retail in a serious way or in fashion in a serious way. We didn't understand how to even buy from designers or wholesaling or, you know, what kind of minimums they would have or what their production was like. And so we started taking these meetings with them. And at the end of a meeting, they would be like, cool. So when would you want to see a sample buy? And when would you place an order? And what would this look like? And we're like, oh, these are onboarding meetings. I see what's happening. <laughs> we had no idea. We also, in the beginning, asked them to sign NDAs because that's how were. It was so upsetting. So embarrassing. So embarrassing. Like an NDA that we printed out from the internet. And then, you know, to talk about this idea that anybody could have sold. It was just terrible. As though these designers had any interest in, like, building this website. Um, Please, you don't walk into any tech office in San Francisco without signing an NDA. It's the most ridiculous thing in the world. It's so ridiculous. We'll just like chalk it up to like, that's what website people do. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so really, we were just acting like the people we wanted to become. Yeah. <laughs> just aspirational NDA signing. <laughs> yeah, no, I have a really awful NDA template that I call the friend DA for when I have to make somebody who I like sign one. Perfect. And it's like the most shameful email I send all the time. Yeah. So then we got to this point where we had met all of these designers and had gone down a road and had started to talk to web developers and had this moment. I remember I was flying back from a work trip in LA and I was standing in LAX and Claire and I were on the phone and she was like, I think we need to decide if we're going to do this or not. Like we, it's now is kind of the time to quit our jobs and move forward with this or not. And so we decided to quit our jobs. That's the first time I've ever heard you tell that part of the story. And I don't remember it, but I still got chills. Why was I making you get on the phone from LAX? Because I think we had had some conversation with a lawyer about oh, okay, right, right, right. things and yeah. you felt like there was suddenly like a deadline that we needed. It was to very place. important, clearly. <laughs> in like the movie, a it's going to be... All of a sudden. Yeah. In the movie, it's going to be the pivotal moment. It's very important. Perfect. Like pacing at LAX coming yes. back. Oh, God. Yeah, I'm such a jerk, too, because I do yeah. this. That's classic me. Like, this must be solved immediately, this life-changing thing. God, sorry. <laughs> Six years later. It's very memorable, see? Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, it, and I think a lot of times that's how all of these decisions have been made is, like, in some ways out of necessity. Like, you get pushed to a point. I mean, and I hate to say that, like, as if we weren't agentive in these decisions, but I think part of it is a result of always having been a small company where with stretched bandwidth where you're just, like, working, working, working until an opportunity sort of presents itself or forces itself. And that's there are a lot of come to Jesus moments and that's <laughs> when we would change things. Yeah. Like and getting a warehouse, it was like a come to Jesus moment of being like, oh my God, like we had had a terrible, you know, two month stint where we realized we couldn't do it anymore and we had to sort of pull the trigger. When we hired our first employee, it was a summer intern who, when she was getting ready to go back, like to go, start looking for a full-time job, we had a, a financial sort of like part-time consultant working for us and where we were like, Jeremy, can we hire her? Like, do we have money to hire her? Because she can't leave. What happens if she leaves? That was it. We were like, oh, she's going to leave now and we we won't be able to function. So I guess we have to hire her. We've never done anything preemptively. You know, you look at like around at these companies who are like, well, you know, we'll need a, like a, we'll need that person six months from now. So let's hire them in three months so they have time to get up and running. That's never been the position that we've been in. It's always completely out of necessity. A lot of that sounds like super fearless to me, you know, like just getting to the point where it's true. It's like sometimes you get hurled into making decisions and sometimes you, you know, I guess like that's the point of like hiring all these people that you are is that 
hypothetically it's going to free you up you know to like do that like higher level thinking or whatever that you're supposed to do yeah that's That's the hope in the dream (laughs) we talk about that a lot higher level thinking about how we're going to do that i'm convinced oprah runs like the harpo twitter account you'll be fine like (laughs) she does all of it I really hope so. She's like, I don't, she's like, I haven't slept in like 27 years. (laughs) That is another thing when you like find, when you talk to people who you think have it going on or like have it completely together and they're still running their Twitter account and that it's super important in situations like this to have other friends who are running their own business so that you're like, oh, you are, you are still checking the Twitter account. You're writing all the tweets and you feel better about yourself. But the hard part for us is that we we then take that as validation that it's the right thing to do and that we should be micromanagers and that we're making the right decisions by looking at all of this stuff. So that's, you know, that's the road we go down for sure. Yeah, it's a dangerous one. So do you have like a brain trust of other um, entrepreneurs in sort of like a similar position that you go to for questions like, hey, are you still tweeting from your own account? (laughs) (laughs) Our go-tos are Lizzie and Catherine Fortunato who have a jewelry business. And it's very different from ours in terms of sort of the economics. But at the end of the day, they think like we do. And the size of the business is pretty similar. And I don't know. They're crazy in the same ways we are. (laughs) Oh, completely. And Which is I, what's important. <laughs> yes. And so we get together with them really regularly. And it's just, it's a nightmare if, for anybody else involved. Like if one of our boyfriends or husbands are there, they're like, can't handle it too much. <laughs> Got to get out of here because we're all screaming at each other and talking at the same time about, you know, what's going wrong in the business or whatever. That, so that has been so key. What are your, like, still your super favorite parts of running the business? Okay, this is Claire also because I know that Eric and I sound alike. But for me, I really love the process of seeing a product come to life because some some of the products that we sell, you know, are more or less created in the minds or like in real life of the designer before before they get to us. But a lot of them are really collaborative processes with the designer and that's really fun. And it to see something that that like truly feels like a collaboration and is a creative part of my job. And and then like truly the the biggest, most exciting piece is if it works out really well and that designer sees an impact on their career as a result of it. And that those are the really satisfying moments when you get this email from a designer who's like, I just need to tell you how huge it was for me and my business to work with you guys. Before we started of a kind when we were still just like sitting around our kitchen tables dreaming about it, we said, what what do we want of a kind to be? What do we want it to stand for? And we said we want it to be, wouldn't it be so awesome if of a kind became something that was looked at as a milestone in a designer's career? And that was like the fantasy thing, right? Before we even had a business to speak of, that was our fantasy of what it would be. And then at some point that started to be the message that we would hear from designers. They would reach out to us and say like, I have like three business goals for this year and one of them is to work with you or like looking back saying like I like my business grew so much this year and it was had so much to do with working with you guys and you know I it's like we're a small business working with other small businesses and that is so satisfying for me I think developing a voice and a point of view and an aesthetic that feels identifiable and distinct has been such a huge win. And I mean, this is my hope and dream that, that people actually feel that way. I don't know. Um, but the, the <laughs> I, way- <laughs> I think they do. I, I th- You know, I think we can all agree on that. I think that they okay. do. <laughs> um, and I think that the way, I think the ways that I feel validated in this are like some of the most sort of key moments are when you get customer service emails from people who, who talk back to us like we're friends and they'll be like, yo, Claire and Eric, I was 
like, I love this edition so much. I'm obsessed with it. Or I was so into this story. Or you talked about this thing on the podcast. And I wanted to tell you about this pair of tights I found that I'm crazy about. And cultivating those relationships with people who are contacting us via customer service at ofakind.com has been a really awesome thing. Yes, I second that. Preach. I like the, you know, like we have like anybody our fair share of customers who are not that awesome, but the, but we have so like so many amazing people who fully treat us like we've known them for 10 years, even though we just met them over email (laughs) (laughs) and just write us the funniest emails. And when we make announcements about our business that, you know, about changes or whatever, you know, they will write back and be so honest and by and large, just so supportive in ways that are just, you know, are unimaginable. It's awesome. I love that. And when we make big announcements and get emails back, we get so many people writing back just like, congrats or congrats, you guys, or whatever, which I don't think most newsletters get. Well, I would never hit reply all to a newsletter until oh, now, like, yeah. but because I see so many people do it in our audience, and so now you know, I, now I'll do it too. It's because it really feels like you guys are talking to us. That's you know, like remember nice. the day that I emailed you when you like you like wrapped our newsletter, it, yeah. or sorry, you wrapped our podcast in the newsletter, which like I was really excited about. But more excitingly, you like confess to the fact that you also listen to Ebro in the morning on oh, Hot 97. God. And I lost my shit, like fully <laughs> lost my shit that morning. Because it was like, I, I was like, I wake up at obscene California morning times and listen to Ebro in the morning. And I have such strong feelings about it. I'm still losing my shit daily that you also listen to Ebro in the morning because we love it so much. And I thought we were like, I'd not like I thought we were the only people, but it really spoke to No, me. it's like a thing that I do that I never talk to anybody about because I'm so conflicted about like how awful Ebro can be, you know? Yeah. And he's <laughs> just the like. The moralizing. not be conflicted. About me, yeah, he's such a hypocrite. And then Claire replied to me. She was like, "Yeah, my husband also hates him because he's a moralizer." And I was like, "Yes, secret society of Ebro, like have conflicted we, listeners." Have we told you that our dream is to be on Ride or Die? Yes, obviously, and that yeah. you call it Drake ninety seven. Yeah, <laughs> because they pay, play four songs, four <laughs> songs total ever. It's very reassuring in that way. It's yeah, yeah no. Yeah, it's you will be you will be on ride or die. I am like I think that that's a very attainable 2016. I think goal. you're right, Ebro. If you're listening, Ebro, call he us. Is. He's definitely listening. I just have to tell you, you're right that I have to share this story about people like this idea that people think the newsletter is speaking to them personally. We got an email today from a customer who responded to our 10 things newsletter, which is a list of 10 things that Eric and I discovered the week previous that we just love and want to share with everybody. And it's everything from like beauty products to call your girlfriend to a book we read. And somebody wrote back to it today and said, and so, you know, it's listed says, here's our things. Here's Erica's things. She lists five, then Claire's things. I list five. And this person wrote back and she said, hi, I just wanted to know, you know, my name is Erica, and are you picking these recommendations for me personally? Because if so, some of them are really big misses, and you're really <laughs> off, and I would like to update my profile on your site. We lost it. I just, the, I, and like, it's sad that the thing that killed me the most about it was the idea that we would have profiles. <laughs> and that we were generating these lists for everyone individually. I haven't gotten my Aminas things yet. <laughs> Coming up. Coming We're, right up. Your profile is being constructed by our algorithm <laughs> right now. Oh, <laughs> oh my yeah. God. The that bots is, are on it. That is amazing. So, yeah, people really, they do feel like we're speaking to them personally. 
it is 99% of the time very rewarding and 1% very confusing. <laughs> well, besides Hot 97 and Ebro in the morning, what are other things that you guys are like, what do you look for to get inspiration? Ooh, I don't know if this is an inspiration so much, but I I run every single day and that is so key to my life. And Amina, you and I have talked about that because it's it just it's my um it's like my mood booster, it's my antidepressant, it's probably the like I know, more- you like changed my life with that. Really? That's good. I I mean it's like the one it's in if nothing else, even if it sucks and I don't do any good thinking on it, it's a half hour a day. I can't look at my phone, which is another problem in my life. So so that's that's a big that's my I would call that my my thing. This feels like a terrible follow-up to that, but I've been into Snapchat lately and I don't think it's inspiring <laughs> at all. <laughs> There's no shame. There's no shame. There's not. And you're really I, good at it, Erica. You thank you so much because I take pictures, so I'm bad at Instagram. It's a better outlet for my creative skills. I'm going to ask my one, like my last super cheesy, earnest, but like real question. What is next for Of A Kind in 2016? Ooh. Everything. I, we, I'm not sure what we're allowed to talk about yet. I know, right? Like, what um, What can you tell us that's not under the friend DA? <laughs> um, we have been doing more additions in different categories. We're launching a collection of beauty slash personal care products on the site that are all yes. things that Aaron and I use, shit that we can, like, very much get behind because we buy it all the time. So it's like, my favorite shampoo, my favorite eyebrow pencil, Claire's favorite deep conditioner for her curly hair, Claire's favorite red lipstick, and all of that stuff. And we've never gotten into beauty on the site in a big way, but it's something that we talk about a lot in our 10 Things newsletter and on our podcast. And we're hoping in 2016 to do a better job of merging those two worlds. At at another point where we thought the business was going to fall through and we were like, okay, well, what do we want to do next? Like, what do we want to do when we grow up? The term we came up with was just, we wanted to be professional enthusiasts. Like we just fucking love talking (laughs) about stuff that we love. And so now, (laughs) so the beauty shop really feels, or we're calling it personal care shop because beauty felt like a loaded term, but 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 this feels like, yes, this is the stuff that we, you know, like use until the last drop and cut off the top of the tube so that you can get the last scrape and now we get to sell it and that that feels awesome. I have no idea what's going to happen with it, but I I hope people like it. So far, it's like five years in, not a single lemon, so (laughs) I think. That is not true. Um, (laughs) We just put all the lemons in the garbage disposal so you wouldn't notice. (laughs) They make make the place smell nice, right? (laughs) Why the kitchen smells so good. (laughs) Well, you guys, thank you so much for joining us. This was so fun. Thank you, guys. Oh, man. Okay, let's do some listener questions. Ooh, multiple. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe we'll do one question. <laughs> All right, do you have a well, fave here? This one is kind of short and sweet. Okay. Hey, Aminatu and Anne. Firstly, thank you so much to you both and Gina for an awesome podcast. It's all Gina. It's 100% Gina (laughs) D. It's all Gina. Um, I love it. Secondly, I have a question on dealing with feedback in a career setting. Dun, dun, dun. Mm. 
I'm a people pleaser and find constructive feedback really difficult to deal with. I hear you're terrible at your job and we're disappointed in you if I get anything less than glowing reviews. I'm at a stage in my career now where it's not all going to be gold stars forever. How do you both deal with feedback and turn it around so you get inspired and motivated rather than discouraged and lost? Well, Gold Stars Forever is actually the name of our career coaching side business. So I'm glad (laughs) you came to us. Gold Stars LLC. This question is amazing to me because like this person has already pinpointed everything that is the matter, right? She's like, I'm a people pleaser. Right. And I'm just like, dun dun. Like that's the crux of it. Yeah. I mean, and also clearly she seems like on some higher level, she understands. She's like, I know this doesn't mean I'm terrible at my job or that I'm going to get fired tomorrow or anything like that. I think that part of it is like, if you were truly doing a bad job, people wouldn't know how to articulate what you're doing wrong. Like I think about this a lot, like the people I've worked with who have been, and there have been pretty few of them, luckily, who have just been so awful. The kind of like nightmare scenario that like maybe this woman imagines she is in her darkest moments. Those people, there's, it's really hard to articulate why they're awful. People who are actually pretty good coworkers, you can be like, okay, here's this one thing that you can do better, full stop. And sometimes when you get specific feedback, it's like, that's a compliment. This is a, a, a concrete thing. It's not like this is all like a hot mess and I can't even figure out how to, how to yeah. ask you to improve. I don't know. That's one thing. That's one thing. You know, I think it's two things, right? Being self-motivated is like very important at work. As somebody who has been a manager multiple times, I don't think that people understand like how hard managing is and just how unprepared most people are for it. (laughs) And so part of why you're not getting like stellar feedback all the time, a lot of times is that like your manager is literally underwater. Like they have to do their job and then they have to manage you and multiple other people at the same time. Right. And so being self-motivated is really important. But I think also just like learning to read other people like better is also really important. Personally, I don't believe in effusive praise unless you're like literally have saved a life, you know? Um, It's true. It's like my first boss out of college always says like, you don't get a pat on the back for doing your job. And that's the thing that I really internalize. And I'm not saying that it's for everyone, but sometimes people are giving you feedback and you don't even realize they are. But I think that there's this other thing too about like, especially when you're dealing with difficult people where you just need to also learn like which feedback to internalize and which not to internalize. Yeah. I mean, one thing that I, when I was an editor, I would always say upon editing people who were like in their first or second job is that being edited is a skill and getting feedback is a skill. And so figuring out how to be receptive to it and how to sort of figure out, okay, like my manager is just having a bad day versus this is something I really need to take seriously is like a skill you can improve on, which I'm sort of, if I'm reading this correctly, this listener is probably down to improve and see it as like a challenge as opposed to something that she has no control over. Exactly right. And I think that like, there's also something about like disassociating yourself from the work. Mm. We both always think that our work can be better. I've never turned in something or done something where I thought like, that's it. That's the best I could do. Like, Killed maybe, it. You know, I'm, yeah, I'm like, maybe one day I'll write like a Hamilton-like <laughs> like a musical and I'll feel that way. But in the meantime, I always see how things could have been better. But I also, I don't take it personally. To this person, you've kind of identified like the, the people pleaser thing is the problem. And I think that toning it down just means that you have to focus on the work and not on yourself. 
Right. You are not your job. Like, no, you probably would be really sad if someone were like, oh, the, the totality of who you are and what you're about is what you do at work. And so you have to sort of take the good part of that as well, which is that it's just work. Exactly. And, you know, and I think that sometimes, like, honestly, the best way to deal with feedback is to ask for specific feedback. Yeah, ask follow-up questions to sort of say, like, do you mean in this situation or this situation and engage? Exactly. And again, like, you know, don't ask about yourself, but ask about the work. Uh, yes. I'm just like over it, overwork forever. It's crazy. Not an option. I love that you can be <laughs> overwork forever. <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know. I used to be one of those people that like my all of my identity was wrapped into work. A couple of years ago, I got really sick and work didn't crumble when I wasn't there. And I was like, oh, life can be like this. Yeah. And it was just such a perspective giving for me where I was like, oh, I could get hit by a bus tomorrow and like all of life would keep going. So right. work is really important, but that's not what I want to be remembered for. Mm, 2016 life lessons. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Another career question. Dear Aminato and Anne. I found you all during my freshman year of college. Aw, baby. When I felt felt very lost and alone. Aw. Hearing your voices was so refreshing and it filled me with so much comfort at a time when I felt like no one understood me. Listening to you all on my way to school always pumps me up and makes me feel like I'm listening to my own best friends being the coolest thing ever. Oh, full arm goosebumps. Aw, keep up the amazing work. Thank you. That is like really encouraging. Thank you. Here's my issue. I'm 19, and I feel like the chance to do something amazing for the world is slowly ticking away. I want to go to law school once I'm done with my undergraduate degree, which is pre-law. I have always wanted to be an inspiring voice for women to relate to and look up to. However, I feel like I'm stuck and uninspired. I feel like by the time I get my shit together, all of the things I could do have been already done. All of the inspirational things and important things will already be done, and I'll just be left with all of this passion without knowing what to do with it. This mindset also makes me want to rethink my major. I feel uninspired and I feel like I know nothing about myself. I'm terrified if going to law school doesn't work out. What would I do then? My question to you is, how do I get to know who I am? Does it just happen and am I just being anxious? I feel like I can't inspire and be a voice for people if I don't know who I am first. Sorry if this is hard to understand. Please help. This is not hard to understand at all. Uh, Also, just like the existential questions of life, like tomes and tomes of like canonical dude philosophers have tackled this question. I know. Also, like, man, 19, you know, like I say that 19 is young, not in a condescending way, but in a very like facts of life kind of way. Like if you live to how you're supposed to live, you're like barely at a quarter, like a quarter of your life. I was having those thoughts and then I was like, maybe she has a terminal illness. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it's a maybe it's a Mandy Moore movie. (laughs) Oh my god, maybe this is a Nicholas Sparks novel. (laughs) (laughs) You know, yes, so I don't say this to be condescending at all, but like 19 is very young. You're freshman in college. My like sincere hope for you is that senior year of college on graduation day, you look back on this letter and you like laugh. You laugh so hard. Because you realize how much of life is like full of surprises. Yeah. Or like when you're 35 or like when you're 45, when Leslie Jones got big. I know. You know, and also, you know, like we both have read the Gloria Steinem memoir, Mm -hmm. which I think this person should read. Gloria's like 80 something. She's literally been around for like everything, right? Events and then the backlash to them. And then like. She's like the feminist Zelig. Yeah. She's like popping up everywhere. (laughs) Like, yeah, she's just like hung on and she's there 
and the thing about it that's that was so great about reading her book is just like realizing what a full life she's lived but also how much fuller her life has gotten in these last couple of years oh my god yeah you know like it wasn't like she did everything she wanted to do at like 25 no at like 83 she's like kicking and alive and amazing notorious rbg like same thing notorious rbg didn't go to law school for a long time she was like married and had a kid totally we didn't start this podcast until you were like 29 and i was like 31 right or 32 exactly (laughs) yeah that's like 10 years older than you are now and which is not to say that this is like the greatest achievement known to man or even the greatest achievement either of us have ever done however i think that this sort of like incubation period before maybe you become known for something or find your passion or like find that fulfillment yeah that find that fulfillment is 100% full of anxiety but you have to sort of use the anxiety if it's possible Um, yeah when I was in college I I read this book called The Artist's Way which I should probably reread soon oh my god somebody yeah somebody else like brought it up to me but you know The Artist's Way is like very cheesy in its own kind of way but I think that one thing that it does really well is like lay out like artistic processes for you, yes, there's a ton of anxiety that happens. There's a ton of planning that happens. But I also think that there is something to be said about being really rigid in your thinking and in what like you think success looks like. And the reason that that's tough is because you're not successful yet, so you don't actually have a solid grasp of what that will look like for you. And so it's almost like as if you're chasing the wrong thing. And I think if you're doing it right, it'll change constantly. I mean, I I have achieved some things that I wanted when I was 19, but I've also done a lot of things that I didn't even know I wanted yet. And there are things that I'm still chasing. It's like, if you realize that it's sort of a continuum and that Gloria Steinem example is, I mean, I'm not 80 years old, but like, I hope that when I'm 80, I'm still doing what she's doing, which is at the very least asking questions. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I know that this person, you know, she's like, I want to be inspirational to all these other people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, that's really great. But you know, like there is a, so much of life is also just like focusing on yourself and finding out who you are. And honestly, like that's what people are attracted to. Like people aren't attracted to the manufactured for lack of better word stuff that you want to give them. People see your authentic self and like, that's what they want. And that's what like keeps them coming. And so I would say, look inwardly and see what is it that's making you anxious, like what you don't love. The law school thing is like also so interesting because obviously like, you know, we are friends with a lot of people who went to law school. Some of them have positive things to say. Some of them have negative things to say, but there's not just one path to do the thing that you want to do. Yeah. And I think too, that if looking inwardly is making you stressed out right now or if I mean there's this line in the email that says how do I get to know who I am and it's like as soon as the sooner you accept that that's like basically life (laughs) that's like the whole thing it's not it's not like something you do in college like finding yourself or whatever blah 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 in college right like like we're still asking ourselves totally totally sometimes you learn about that in relation to the work that you're doing or the projects you've taken on or the people you're around. It's like, it it can be painful to be like, oh, I'm not that, I'm not like that person or I'm not, I'm not actually interested in the law. Like sometimes it means defining yourself against, but sometimes you do need to have experiences in order to then do that inward thinking work and sort of say, oh, okay, well, that's what I'm taking away from that. That's what I am and that's what I'm not for now. (laughs) Yeah, no, you know, also this other thing about, like, college anxiety, I know, maybe except for, like, the journalists in my life, I know very few people who are, like, doing the thing that they studied at school. 
Oh my god! Like I just like no yeah, one. like yeah, yeah. Like I studied political science, and I thought I was going to be like Christian Amanpour or like work in like refugee camps, which I did for a little bit, and then I was like, that's not what I'm doing with my life. And then I am so far removed from that. So just this like idea that like your undergraduate degree like determines your path is like complete garbage, and like schools love to sell you that. And just on a very practical level, like one thing that I did in college every semester is that I would pick like one class that was so not in my wheelhouse of things. Like it was not like a fulfillment for my thing. It would, you know, like complete elective, a lot of times like in a different college than I was in and just like do that for fun and for pleasure. And I think that just like exploring that way and seeing if there's something else at school that makes you less anxious, that makes you more happy and just like broadening your social circle too. Like sometimes it's a matter of just like meeting people who are not on the same path as you to make you realize that, your life can be different. Yeah, there are certain milestones where sort of culture says that you should be declaring who you are. And one of them is like early in college when you declare a major. And I think that this listener has similar problems to a lot of people who have just recently graduated college who are like, oh God, now who am I in the real world or whatever? Like thinking that they should have this concrete definition. And in some ways it's like, yeah, like you probably have to get a job or you probably do have to declare a major. Like that's real. But understanding that that is not 100% who am I as a person or like, you know, fundamental. It's just right, like a choice. I'm, it's a thing I'm trying now. Yeah. All right. It's like in the next three years that you're in school, the economy could tank all over again and it like won't matter what you learn in school. The Oregon it, militia you know, could succeed and we could all live in a weird... <laughs> right? There's yeah. like, like so much, so many things could happen that are out of your control that will have an effect on your life. And I think that the most important skill that you can learn, if anything is just, like, how to cope with those, like, weird things. Right. Evolve. Because here's the thing about law school. Like, law school is still here. Like, I think about going to law school every once in a while, you know, and I'm just like, ah, I'm like, I'm 30. Can I still go? At every crisis point in your life, you will be able to consider going to law school. Exactly. (laughs) You know? And and that's the thing. It's like, you can can do that. There are many people who were not pre-law who end up in law school later. Um, It's not the end-all, be-all of careers, you know? And... Just like not having that kind of rigid thinking, but mostly saying like, how do I get through four years of college with a skill that I actually like? Because here's the thing, pre-law is not a skill. Um, like, no, it's true. It's <laughs> no, like, I know. I'm you, laughing because it's right. Yeah. It's like, how do you get to call it? How do you get through four years of college with like a skill that you can use? And that can be anything. It doesn't have to be a thing that you major in, something that you can fall back on. But also, how do you get through four years of school with just like having a good time, like feeling that you were a well-rounded person, you took advantage of the best things that your college have to give Like me personally, after graduation, I was really traumatized. I did not know that college was like such a utopia until I wasn't in it. I was like, oh man, like now I have to pay bills all the time. And like, bills, bills. Yeah, it's like bills, bills, bills. And you're not like learning for pleasure. And it's like really hard to be a curious person your first couple of years because guess what? Like, you're going to have to do a lot of dues paying afterwards. Whether you end up going to some form of higher education or you end up in the workplace, like it's really hard being like a 20 something year old in the real world. The fact that you have so much just like passion and you want to help people like that's going to happen, but it will only happen when you turn that passion towards yourself and really like start walking in your own authentic light.
If you did not catch our San Francisco event, fear not. We have two more coming up in the near future. March 7th in Los Angeles with the incredible Rebecca Traster talking about single women in America. It's selling out so fast. Like, get your ticket, like, now. It's true. It's very true. And then, again, on April 10th in Washington, D.C., where we'll be doing more of kind of a live show that's a little bit more general. And seeing as how that is the city where we first met and have lots of people, I think that's going to be a really fun one. Also, it's my birthday weekend. So, like, you know, in lieu of presents, please just come to our live show. Oh, my God. Or better yet, as a birthday gift to Amina, buy a ticket for your friend who lives in D.C. as, like, a bestie present. Oh, my God. Also, we're doing our live show at the Six and I Synagogue, which is my favorite place in all of D.C. to do shows. Beautiful venue. We, we roll so deep with, like, the Jewish venues. Yo, Jewish venues love us. Like, shout out to Jewish venues everywhere. You guys take good care of us. Seriously. I'm so glad there's, like, multiple Jewish emojis that we can use now. I know, we've put them to so much use lately. Synagogue I emoji. I know. You know, as somebody who is emotionally Jewish, I really appreciate the deep care and love that they have for me. So thank you. Same. And then if you can't see us live, which understandable, or at least not just yet, you can find us on the internet, callyourgirlfriend.com, on Twitter at callyrgf, on Facebook, just Google it. (laughs) Um, (laughs) You can send us an email at callyrgf at gmail.com, or you can leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. And to all of the CYG listeners who are frantically tweeting at me about Kanye West and what is going on in his life, I'm sorry we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I promise you that when we check back in, there will be more news to digest. So just hang in there and I will be back. There will be many more meltdowns before we check in again, I'm sure. Oh my God. This podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. Gina Delvac. <laughs> okay, boo. See you. See you in person. Oh my god. See you in person and on the internet. Also see Kanye on the internet. Everything. Oh, oh my god. So so many things. <laughs>